Good evening, everyone, and welcome. Tonight's class is titled The Power of Self-Sacrifice. And throughout the ages, the Jewish people have always had self-sacrifice in every area, in every time, and in every place. All of us can think of any time period. The Inquisition, the Crusades, the Holocaust, going back to the stories of Hanukkah, Purim, the destruction of the first and second temple, the Amalek trying to fight against us, the Six-Day War, coming up 50 years since the Six-Day War on Wednesday. Throughout the generations, the Jewish people, the Chol Dor Vador, and every generation, Om Demaleinu, the there are people that stand up against us to literally destroy us completely and at times the conversation is not about killing the Jew in the story of Purim Ahasuerus wanted to kill the Jew he said the Jewish body is a problem the problem is the Jewish body that was the story of Purim. In the story of Hanukkah, the Greeks, they didn't care about the Jew. They cared about the Torah. The Greeks were brilliant people, and they said, learn, learn as much as you want. But don't allow it to be God's Torah. Remove God from it. Learn, learn this brilliant wisdom. But call it wisdom. It's a nice idea. There's no need to practice it just because something makes sense keep, keep it up keep up the Jewish tradition it's a beautiful theory it's a beautiful philosophy but we just, just remove God from it and the Greeks they said so long as you do that we're not going to kill you we won't hurt you and in every generation similarly not only do people come up and say that there are people that say we want to kill God forbid the Jew but then there are those that say all we want is for you to stop recognizing God. The moment you stop recognizing God, I'm your best friend. And a Jew is able to look someone in the eye. Each and every Jew is able to look someone in the eye. That person could be threatening them with the sword. And the person could tell the Jew, either you denounce God or I kill you, and the Jew has the power of self-sacrifice. The Jew has the power to give his life up. Now immediately is going to come the question, look, the Arabs also, they're giving up their life for the sake of God. Or, or what they call perceive as God. Many people are willing to die. Soldiers in an army are willing to die for what they believe. So what is unique when we say that the Jewish person, he's going to give up his life for God, there's nothing really special about that. Every, gener every, every religion, those that are really observant will be willing or should be willing to give up their life for what they believe. So what's unique about the Jew? I just Before we go to answer that, I want to share a few stories of self-sacrifice. The ultimate story starts with Avraham Avinu, on the mountain of Har, of Har HaMoriah 
the mountain where the temple stands, where the western wall stands today. He goes there, there's not another soul there, and he's willing to give up his only son. And he takes out a knife. And he's about to physically slaughter his son. You know, I just read, there were three Hasid, the, the Magid of Midrich. He had 120 primary disciples. And whenever people would come to him, he would assess, can, he, can you be my primary disciple? And whether he accepted you or not was divine. It wasn't, it wasn't like, look, if you know the 60 tractates of Talmud, you're accepting. The, the, the Magad had his method of accepting students. But if he didn't accept you, what would, this, what would the students do? They would stick around the base, the base medrash and they would make sure the base medrash was clean, they would put away the books, they would make sure the Magad had food, they would be a shamish, a beetle. They would make sure to stick around the, the Magad of Mizrich as much as possible. The Magad of Mizrich had a, stu- had a student named Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi, the Alter Rebbe. Oh, the Magad of Mizrich is Talmud. And he one time decided, he was resting in the, in the base Medrash, he one time decided he's going to pretend he's sleeping and listen in to a conversation. Let's see, what are these people talking about? And he listens in and here goes the conversation. They say, what's so special about Avram Avinu? I don't understand, says the first one. What is so special? Imagine God comes to you and tells you to go and take your son and slaughter him. When was the last time God spoke personally in a, in a daytime understanding? Not, of course, God is constantly inspiring our soul in heaven. When was the last time God physically, or so to speak, physically spoke to you face to face? If you'd have that interaction, you would also go run to do what God said. Oh, so he said to slaughter his only son? If God would tell you to do it, you do it. So what was so brilliant? It's a good question, Dr. Yosef, no? What's the big deal? What do you think the answer is, Phil? Why did he do it? Yeah, why did he do it? What, what's so special? You know, you know how many times a day we talk about Avram Avinu and the fact that he wanted to, he wanted to sacrifice his son? It's, one, it's the ultimate sacrifice. Really? If God came to you and told you to sacrifice your only son, he's having a personal conversation with you, you wouldn't do it? I would hesitate. Rethink it. I think you may hesitate, but God is coming to you. You may hesitate, but I think I, th- I would imagine you'd do it. I'd have to be 100% certain it was God and not something else. No, no, no. Well, you correct. You're 100% certain. No, no, no. I'm not at that meeting, but let's say at least there's a, there's a, there's a chance you would do it. Look, say, hey, you know what, Phil? So good, that's an answer. No, no, that's acceptable. That's acceptable. And, and don't get me wrong. So I, it, I could have said yes before he was born, right? If it was hypothetical. Right. No, no. I, I appreciate, first of all, your honesty. And on the contrary, that's good. In other words, that's, so you, you appreciate what Avram Avinu went through. But what I'm just sharing is that although it was a tremendous test, and it was very hard, but seemingly it's not as great this, group of three talking in the shul, they're saying it's not as great as we make it sound. 
You know, Hannah gave up seven sons. Are you familiar with the story of Hannah and her seven sons? Like, what is so special about Avram, you know, that God spoke to him? So the first one says, he says, you know what's so special? What was so amazing about Avram Avinu? That he did it first thing in the morning. You're right. If God gives you a command, you may... But he jumped to go ahead and do it. First thing in the morning, he didn't wait a minute, he jumped to do it. So the other two respond, they say, I don't understand. If God told you, you'd also go ahead and jump to do it. And he says, no, no, no. What was so great about Avram Avinu? was that when he took the knife and the angel told him not to do it when the angel said don't touch your son Avram Avinu wasn't happy in other words it's not that he rejoiced he was equally as happy to do what God said no matter what it would be his devotion to God was so strong and the conversation continued what was the greatness about Avram Avinu so Avram Avinu he did this tremendous act that's one of the first steps of Masiras Nefesh, the first stories. Rabbi Akiva, every day, he used to ask, when, is it gonna, when will the ability for me to be killed for the sake of God come to my hands? And unfortunately, it came to him in the most tragic of ways. If you're familiar, he's one of the ten martyrs. The, the Inquisition we're familiar with what about the Cantonists? Is anyone here? Are you guys familiar? Are you familiar with the Cantonists? In August 26, 1827, a decree was made by the Russian, um, by the Russians, to go ahead and take young young Jewish children, take put them in the army for 25 years. Have you heard? Have you heard about this? This is all documented. In Russia, I'll just read for you momentarily. 1827. I want you to know about this because this is a major uh, tragic time period. The decree of August 26, 1827 made Jews liable for military service and allowed their, cons their conscription between the ages of 12 and 25. Each year the Jewish community had to supply four recruits per thousand of the population. Strict quotas were imposed on all communities and given the unpleasant task of implementing conscription within the Jewish communities. Um, all Cantonists were institutionally underfed and uh, encouraged to steal food from the local population. Um, the official policy was to encourage their conversion to the state religion of Orthodox Christianity and the Jewish boys were coerced to baptism. As kosher food was unavailable, they were faced with the necessity of abandoning Jewish dietary laws. For all Cantonists, their 25-year term of service began when they reached the age of 18 and were distributed into the army. The distribution patterns of the 18-year-old Cantonists show that Jews were not discriminated against I'm not sure. Now, I, I was just reading basically from Jews who refused to convert were barred from ascending above the rank. Um, this was a terrible time period, 1827. Um, this time period is known extensively um, in the Jewish tradition as dark times. Because the Jewish children were taken for 25 years 
and their chances of survival as Jews was very low. Um, they were basically physically forced to convert to Christianity. And a lot of the leading rabbis at the time, much of what they dealt with was working with these Jewish children who had, they working with them when they were in the army and when they came out. At this time period, and remember these Jewish children had no knowledge. They weren't children that were, had gone to yeshiva. And unfortunately, they were un, unlearned. And one, one, there was one child who was, had been in the army for a, a while. And they told him the next day we're going to go and convert you. It didn't mean much to him. You know, he didn't really understand what it meant to be a Jew. And yet, as they were passing by, they were driving to where he would be converted. He realized what was going to happen to him, and he jumped out into a river they had passed by, and, and unfortunately he drowned. Now, now what happened there? What happened? Why, why did he decide that he's not willing to give up his Judaism? Certainly not his education. And this story we find all over, all over, repeatedly, that the Jewish people did not give up their lives because of their education. And going back and asking what is the difference between the Jew giving the Jew and self-sacrifice and other religions, the difference is that the Jew does not give up his soul out of, out of intellect. In every religion, of course, some of that is devoted to their religion will give up their soul. But that, that's not the Jew. The Jew gives up his soul because of, will give up his soul for God because of something much deeper. That is why when it comes to the ignorant, when it comes to people that are unlearned, when it comes to a sinner, nonetheless, if they're going to be threatened, Judaism or else, they're going to say Judaism. Are there any questions so far? Dr. Yosef, does that make sense now? Is it, is it coming together a little bit? <laughs> it happened. What? It happened. It happened. Yeah. What, what about choosing life? Why not go through the motions of the conversion without necessarily believing it and maintaining your Jewish identity internally? Phil has a good question. They did that in Spain. Yeah, and, and it was done in the Moranos in Spain. Could anyone share why does the Torah not encourage us? to follow through and just act as a non-Jew temporarily. Anyone? It's a very good question. And I'm very happy you brought it up because this is a very basic tenet in Judaism that everyone must leave this class knowing. There are three things in life that we, that we give up our life for. The Torah itself says you must always stay safe. On Shabbos, if God forbid someone is sick, you put them in a car and you drive them. Don't ever, get, don't ever worry. Should I do this? Should I not? On Shabbos, if there's a question, if someone is in danger of their life, run to the hospital. But there are three things the Torah says 
that unfortunately you must give up your life. There is no other option. What are those three things? If someone comes to you and says, I'm going to kill you, if you, unless you kill someone else, Torah says, we must allow ourselves to be killed. We're not allowed to kill someone else to remain alive. Number one. Number two is Gilei Arayis. Marrying someone that the Torah says we're not allowed to marry. If someone comes to you and says either you marry this person or else Torah says you're not allowed to marry them. Just marrying a non-Jew is... Oh, Moabite. There's this... (laughs) Marrying someone you're not allowed to marry. And even within Judaism, there's certain people that the Torah says you're not allowed to marry. Certain certain, Certain types of marriages are not allowed. And, thir- and the third thing is, someone says, either you convert to another religion or else. So three things that we need to give up our soul for before we do. Yeah. Now the Muranos, yes. no complaints. We understand why they did what they did. But if someone were to ask, what should I do? You should not, con- you should not even pretend to convert. And that is why, following the Inquisition, it was tough for the Muranos. Some of them had to go through some sort of conversion. I understand that. But it's like if you don't ask, and you just... No, 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 no. Not even if you don't ask. The halacha is you need to give up your life. They should have given up their lives. What people did, I don't want to talk about. It's not fair. Like, what what their circumstance was. I'm not here to talk about what people did. I'm here to talk about... What should be done? Okay. Any any questions, Sharon? No. Okay. Okay. Let's see this inside, and we're going to wrap up chapter eighteen today. Here we go. We're go- we're starting from page seventy-eight. We're going to review from the top of the left-hand column. Now, Chachma. We'll go a little fast, and then it's going to lead us directly into self-sacrifice. What is the connection between self-sacrifice? And Chachma. Where does this inspiration of self-sacrifice... Where does this inspiration of self-sacrifice come from? That everyone is willing to give up their soul. Remember we discussed last week how wisdom is higher than thought? Wisdom is higher than understanding? Understanding is Bina. Understanding is Bina. Chachma is higher than understanding. And within higher than understanding, God's essence is within. Within every soul, in the parts that are above understanding, God's essence is revealed there. And that is where the power for self-sacrifice comes from. That power of God which is within you, higher than understanding. Oh, is it because it's higher because it's, it's the first step from Hashem? Everything below that might be, and it's lower than that because it's a step below the original <coughs> Even before Chachma, if we were to kind of break it down, there are differences. There are levels before Chachma itself. There's Keser, there's Atik, Arich. Yeah. 
So it's I. The reason Hashem's wisdom is within Chachma, the, the reason Hashem's essence is within Chachma, is, is because Chachma has no limitation. Chachma is that point of understanding that isn't yet defined, has no definition, and Hashem is not defined. Now, Chachma wisdom is the source of intelligence and comprehension. The source. Where does intelligence come from? It comes from Chachma. And it is above being understanding, which is intellectual understanding and comprehension. Whereas Chachma is above them and their source. Chachma, again, is that flash of brilliance that comes to you. You haven't yet clarified it. There's brilliance there, something is there. We haven't yet clarified it. That's Chachma. Note that the melodical comp composition of the word Chachma what does the word Chachma mean? We showed this on paper last week. Koyachma, the potentiality of what is. That which is not yet comprehended and understood or grasped, or grasped intellectually. Chachma is something that is not yet grasped. If you understand it, that's Bina. It's not yet understood. And consequently, because it is not yet understood, consequently, there is vested in it the light of the Ein Sof, blessed is he, because Chachma is not limited, therefore the limitless Hashem is there, who can in no way be comprehended by any thought. Hashem can't be comprehended, Hashem can't be grasped, and therefore the most appropriate place is Chachma, which is there's something there, but it's not understood what's there. Ah, here we go. Now we're going to cruise straight into self-sacrifice. Hence, all Jews, even the woman and the illiterate, believe in God. How does someone who doesn't understand God believe in God? Obviously, belief is higher than understanding. Faith and understanding are truthfully a paradox. They don't work together. Faith cannot be understood. Since faith is beyond understanding and comprehension, Note 10 says it in beautiful words. Where knowledge ends, faith begins. I love those words. Where knowledge ends, faith begins. Very powerful. The moment we understand, it's not faith. It's not belief. For the simple, and now let's look at this pasuk. This is a passage from Proverbs 14.15. For the simple believe everything. But the prudent man understands. Okay? The passage tells us clearly that the simple they believe. Now this passage, the passage is actually talking in a way derogatory. It's saying to the simple people, they believe everything. 
So it is, is it a compliment to believe in God? Seemingly that's, a, that's something negative. Don't believe. No. The first of the Ten Commandments, Shavuot is coming up. The first of the Ten Commandments, I am God, your God, who took you out of Egypt. What's the command? What are you supposed to do because of that? You're supposed to know God, understand God. So, seemingly, believing in God is a derogatory thing. I hope you don't believe in God. I hope you know God. No. Incorrect. But with regard to the Holy One, blessed is He, who is beyond intelligence and knowledge, and who can in no way be comprehended by any thought. All men are like fools in His presence, blessed be He. <laughs> Hashem, to think you understand Hashem, means you're a fool. You know, two Hasidim, they were talking to each other, two elder Hasidim, and one turns to the other and he tells him, describe for me Atmos, describe for me the essence of God. So he says, the essence of God described, I can't describe it. He says, no, 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 describe it for me. And the man thinks, and he starts descri describing, and the first chassid turns to him and he says, no, 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 no. There is no description. There is no description to the, to the essence of God. The moment you put a description, it's not the essence of God anymore. If you know God, you're not knowing the essence of God. Because the essence of God is unknowable. So before we continue, I have a question. I told you the first command, the first of the Ten Commandments is to know God. And now I'm telling you you can't know God. Right. Baruch, is that a good question? Let me see the question again. Can, on the one hand, you cannot know the essence of God. It's impossible. The, the essence of God, Hashem promises my thoughts are not your thoughts. You'll never grasp my thoughts. We can't grasp, we can't come to the essence of God. That's on, the, on, on one extreme. On the other extreme, the first of the Ten Commandments is Anochi Hashem Avicha to know God. What are you knowing if you can't know the essence of God? What's the answer, Dr. Yosef? <laughs> is, is the question clear, Dr. Yosef? Yeah, the question is very clear. Howard, what's the answer? Um, you know the effects of God. You could see the good. Good, very good answer. Very good. Answer. Basha, what do you think? <laughs> it's possible you could say you you know what you don't know. Know what you don't know. Okay, that would okay that would work a little bit together. We'll talk about that momentarily. And you can try to emulate what you see and what you've been told. Torah. Good. Emulate what you see, what you've been told. Yeah. Well, Correct. Even Moshe just saw the back of God. Correct. Correct. So even Moshe, not of his tefillin. Have full understanding. Agreed. Agreed. Sharon. Well, we have faith that God is there. I mean, somebody started with knowledge. Where did it come from? But faith, the first command is not to believe in God. 
not to believe in God. No, 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 I didn't say that. <laughs> I'll get in trouble. <laughs> turn it off, turn it off. <laughs> the first command is not to believe in God. I am. I am God, your God, who took you out of Egypt. Well, what is the command there? What does God want from us? I am to know him, the Lord, Lord, your God. So what does Hashem want? What are we supposed to do? To love Him. That's a separate, a separate command. Okay. There's a command for Hafta Hashem Alokecha. He's saying to him, I love God, your God. So what is the first command? Maimonides tells us the first of the Ten Commandments is to know God. That is why people oftentimes think, they think that Kabbalah and Hasidus is extra. Actually, it's incorrect. The first of the Ten Commandments to know God is really only possible properly through Kabbalah and Hasidus. So what's the first commandment? Good. What is the first commandment? The first commandment is to try as much as you can to understand Hashem. That is the first command. Da. To know. To know God. How do you know God? So like both Howard said in Moshe Mendel, through seeing how there's creation, through seeing how children are born, through seeing how there's miracles going on every day in this world and there's someone who created this world. Think about the greatness of Hashem. These are, these are parts of the first mitzvah of the Ten Commandments. Da Eselokeya Vicha Shabashmaim, Maimonides' understanding of the first commandment. And that doesn't at all contradict what we're learning now. Now we're learning, you'll never understand God. You'll never understand the essence of God. But nonetheless, you need to try and understand Him. And it's not a contradiction. Try. You'll, you won't get there, but try. And to put it in words and say it, you can't do it. Correct. The moment you, you say God is, can't do it. God is not that. An external part of God. You know, we say God is compassionate. We say God is loving, merciful, forgiving. Those are all true, but the reference is to an external part of God. The moment we talk about the essence of God is... No, 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 you're wrong. There's no is. The essence of God is the essence of God. It's no definition. Okay. Now that we know the essence of God has no definition, we can now understand how the essence of God comes within Chachma, which has no definition. Chachma is something, but we don't yet know what it is. Where knowledge ends, now faith begins. And faith is the same in everyone. Now that we're saying, basically, the more knowledge you have has nothing to do with Faith. On the contrary, sometimes too much knowledge stops your faith. And that's what we're saying now. That being illiterate has no connection to your belief in God, has no connection to your faith in God. And it is not a negative thing to believe in God. Because there's no other choice. We can't know, fully understand God. When we, the simple believe everything. But with regard to the Holy One, blessed is He back in the time, He was beyond intelligence and knowledge, and who can in no way be comprehended by any thought. All men are like fools in His presence, blessed be He. Everyone is a fool. 
Well, none of us understand the essence of God as is written, I was a boor and did not understand. Like an animal was I with you. David HaMelech is saying, King David is saying, I was like an animal. Yet I was always with you. Meaning, that because I was a boor and as an animal I was always with you. Because I was lacking the knowledge. Because I didn't try and limit myself to knowing God, I was able to constantly be united with you. Note 13, let's read it together. Communion with God could never be fully attained through intellectual comprehension because God is incomprehensible. It is through faith which transcends comprehension that man can feel true closeness with God. Our understanding is not going to connect us with us. It's not going to be the ultimate connection. Yes, we need to understand that we'll create a connection. But to really connect with the essence of Hashem, that is not going to come through understanding, that's going to come through belief. Emuna. Emuna pishuta, simple belief. That's the 13 animamins. Maimonides gave us 13 principles of faith. But let's just talk about the words anima amin. I believe. It doesn't say animevin. The Rambam didn't say I understand that I need to do this. No. The Rambam says anima amin. I believe. I believe means even if I don't understand how there could be resurrection of the dead. Even if I don't understand how Moses is a true prophet. Even if I don't understand how, how there is reward and punishment. I believe. Anima amin. Belief. Therefore, now that we understand that belief in God has no connection to understanding of Torah, belief in God is about our essence, about who we are. It's about the wisdom within us. The wisdom, not our understanding. It's about the attribute of wisdom that every Jew has. The first of the ten sefirot within which God is there, the essence of God. Therefore, even the most worthless of worthless. These are strong words. We're talking about like the, the worthless of worthless. If you go today and tell someone they're worthless, it's like it's a real derogatory term. And here we're saying the worthless of worthless, the lowest of low, and the transgressors of the Israelites, in the majority of cases, sacrifice their lives for the sanctity of God's name and suffer harsh torture rather than deny the one God. Although they be bored and illiterate and ignorant of God's greatness. The, the connection with Hashem that we have is not, it's not our intellect. It's our wisdom. It's, it's above intellect. Whether we understand or not has, doesn't matter. Now unfortunately the reality is that not everyone gives up their life. There are people that this wisdom is concealed. And that is what Rabbi Shneir Zalman just said. That in the majority of cases. The majority of cases, the Jew gives up his life. There are those that won't give up their lives, unfortunately. And we're going to continue. We're going to say, even the little knowledge that those people who gave up their lives have, has no connection to why they gave up their life. For, for whatever little knowledge the ignorant, they do possess, they do not delve therein at all. It's not that they spend, right before they were threatened with their life, they're like, hey, I need to quickly think. No, no, no. And so they do not give up their lives by reason of any knowledge and contemplation of God. 
Rather do they suffer martyrdom without any knowledge and reflect, reflection. But as if it were absolutely impossible to renounce the one God and without any reason or hesitation whatsoever. A Jew gives up his soul, doesn't take him time to think. Because it's not about thinking, it's about his essence. This is because, where does this power of self-sacrifice come from? This is because the one God illuminates and animates the entire nefesh, the entire being, through being closed in its faculty of chachma, which is beyond any graspable and understood knowledge or intelligence. This is absolutely tremendous. Absolutely monumental. A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. What does that mean? We're, we're all equal. The essence of God within us is all the same. And there is no difference between the wise and the ignorant. There is no difference between any classes. Hashem's essence is within all of us equally. And therefore, every Jew has that power of self-sacrifice wherever, whatever situation he might, he might find himself. Before, you, you familiar with the Bayless trial? Menachem Bayless? Mendel, Mendel Bayless, am I saying his name correctly? With under a hundred years ago, there was a trial of Mendel Bayless in Russia. He was, he was accused of killing a Christian child for his blood for Passover un within this decade, within this century, sorry. Quite a scary thought that a real blood libel in Russia. And the miracle of it was that at the end the jury, after all of the pressure against him from the judge, and from the Russian government to say he was innocent, that he was guilty, the jury found him innocent. A true miracle. And I actually, I highly encourage everyone to look it up. A very, very powerful story. Bayless? The Bayless trial. B, I think it's B-E-I-L-E-S. Something like that. Right before, the last words, he was instructed by the fifth Rebbe at his trial at the closing words that he was allowed to say before the jury would before the jury would you know uh, gather together and make their decision he was instructed to just get up and scream six words what were those six words? Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad Basically, Hashem, I'm in your power. And if these people find me guilty, God forbid, I'm in your power, Hashem. Through, and actually, if you, look, if you look at that story, you'll see it was a really tragic story. I mean, he was a very well-to-do man and some wicked lady killed a neighbor's friend and she didn't want to be... I mean, on my Wikipedia, this is a picture of... of We'll call him now a tzaddik. A true man, he was not a special person, but uh, at the end of this trial, he was a he is a picture of Jewish of Jewish pride. Uh, Mendel Bayless. 
What year was it? 1913, I think. 1913. Oh, it's actually, yes, it's actually already uh, yeah, over 100 years ago. Anyway, so throughout time, we've always been able to stand strong. Where does this ability for self-sacrifice, so today's class was, t was titled the, the Ability of Self-Sacrifice. It comes from the wisdom within us. It comes from that, that part of us which is higher than understanding, higher than knowledge. We're going to continue in chapter 19. With this we conclude chapter 18. We're going to continue in chapter 19 to discuss fire. To discuss fire, how fire has something awesome about it. Do you know fire has no interest in itself? It would rather leave where it is and connect with, the, with its source. What does fire want to do in a flame? It's always going above. It's always going higher. It's constantly moving. Really a fire, it wants to be able to connect with its source on high. And the soul, similarly, its biggest desire is to be able to unite with God. Very powerful. We'll learn this in chapter 19. It's been a real pleasure. Any questions? Howard, please. Back to your, 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 your three, three things that... Yes. Uh, Very important halacha. Yeah. So those are clearly laid out, but is there, is there commentary on like all the kinds of murky situations? It's, it's usually not that simple. Exceptions. So, like, let me give you. How about what if a pregnant woman is forced to marry someone? Is she supposed to die because she would kill a baby? Like, like you know, I, I'm you know, yes. that example. Yes. Yes. Like, like I feel like I can give so many. The, an where, the answer like, is that. By the way, the, the yes to everything you said. Really? There, there is the specific commentary. Does, um, there is a lot of. Mm -hmm discussion about it. For all these different situations. Yes. At the same time, talking about the pregnant lady, these are, th these are three laws where the Torah says you are not allowed to break them. You're not allowed to what? You're not allowed to break them. You're not allowed to kill. You're not allowed to commit adultery. And you're not allowed to serve idols. Or, ser or yeah. They're quite clear. Killing versus murdering? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you have in mind. Well, someone demands that you go to war. Or we're gonna, or we're gonna kill you. If it's Self-defense is completely allowed. If it's your country, and you're being conscripted by the, the king of your country. Right, 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 right. But you're not renouncing Hashem. Th that's a good question. That, yeah, that would not be... Um, not the, the army is not a case of... Unfortunately, we had tragic stories during World War I of Jew against Jew on the German side and the Russian side. They, they, there are stories of Roshanim Kippur and the Russian and, and German soldiers getting together to, to Davin. It's a... Yeah. Dr. Yosef, please. Did I answer your question, Howard? Yes. Okay. You could look you could look inside of the Rambam, Maimonides. Um, and he really goes through each one of these three points. Let's say a, uh, a situation where one of these Jews in Russia got drafted to the Zara's army yeah. that you mentioned yeah. earlier. Well, that's not really self-defense. I mean, that army. I mean, they're, they're doing whatever the Tsar 
told them to do. Okay. Which could include killing. Yeah. So, I mean, self-defense may be permissible, but is that considered self-defense? Uh, if, if you look at, uh, for instance, uh, Tolstoy, uh, he, very fully believed, he, he believed that people should not serve in the army, in the, in the Russian army. That they should do whatever rather than serve in the army. They should die rather than serve in the army. Yeah, I think that's what Tolstoy would say. I mean, he wasn't Jewish, but, I, but I'm saying that, that that's a situation that um, it's, not, it's not really self-defense. If you join the army, you know they're going to have you kill somebody because that's what the army does. Um, but technically, so, the goal isn't killing, they claim. If the army is going, they can say, if other, if other people like let us come in, then we're not going to kill anyone. Then the goal, technically the end goal isn't, it, it always is killing. But. Well, the, rule, <laughs> the rules of Jewish war is to offer peace first, right? To say, this, right. this conflict can be avoided if you give in. Right? And when they say no, then the next. And then you negotiate. Right? But I just want to go back to Dr. Yosef. Dr. Yosef, you're asking me a good question. I, I, I don't know the correct answer, but I want to share two thoughts. Number one is in Pirkei Avot, in Ethics of Our Fathers, we say that we need to praise wherever we live, the, and we need to be thankful for the leadership. Although it may not be good, but if we didn't have leadership, if we didn't have armies, if we didn't have police, Ishes re'ehu chayim bela'o. To quote, one man would swallow up the other. So, although we may not appreciate the army, um, nonetheless, it's a, it is important for our safety. And this question that everyone's asking actually came very, became very practical a few years back in Gush Katif in Israel. When it came to removing settlers from Gush Katif, at that point there became a massive, massive outbreak of controversy and discussion amongst the rabbis. Because you were telling one Jew to pull another Jew out of Israel. They're living within settlements, but the, according to the Torah, they should be there. According to the Torah, you're not allowed to remove them from there. And that itself became such a strong controversy. And these were the two sides of the controversy. One side said, the Torah says, you can't pull them out. You need to abandon the army. Leave. You're not allowed to be a part of it. You may go to jail, etc. But that's what you need to do. That was one extreme. The other extreme said, look, we, are fully we fully disagree with the army. We think what they're doing is terrible. But we need the Israeli army. They're keeping us safe. So for us to go and make a revolution against them is just going to make it even more dangerous. So similarly, although the Russian government may not have been a good army, but the need for that institution is, is there. Just a thought. Are we supposed to support the countries that we're living in? Right. You had a qu you had a question? You have another question? No. no. Okay. Thank you. Wow. Absolutely. Next Monday night. That's right. Yeah. Thank you very much, everyone. Have a good evening.